Welcome to the Proverbs 910 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth. We're your hosts and co-founders of Proverbs 910 Ministries, Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. Today, we're excited and honored to have as our guest, Pastor Chris Lenhart. Pastor Chris was the associate pastor at the church Chris and I attended a few years ago. We've all since left that church, and now Chris is the senior pastor at Calvary Monument Bible Church in Paradise, Pennsylvania, where my husband and I attend whenever we're in Pennsylvania. And even though my husband and I do not attend that church, we do listen to Chris's sermons, which can all be found online at Calvary Monument Bible Church's website. Pastor Chris is an incredibly brilliant and gifted teacher and preacher. He preaches on entire books of the Bible, and he exposits them thoroughly. He has remarkable insights into scripture, and I always seem to learn something when I listen to him. On any given Sunday, you can find me furiously scribbling notes all Mm. over my bulletin because the one sheet we get for notes just isn't enough. Yeah, Chris has been a huge encouragement to both of us in our studies and in our teaching. So much that you'll see in our book that we give him a big shout out in the acknowledgments. Yes, we do. And we wanted to take full advantage of having Pastor Chris's expertise with us today. So we've asked him to talk about something that's been misused and misunderstood over the years by many. And that is, what does it mean to be born again? Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Why don't you just go ahead and start? All right. Thank you, Rose. And thank you, Chris, for having me on today. It's a joy and a pleasure and an honor to be on here with you guys. And we are going to talk about what it means to be born again. And I think really in order to begin to unpack that conversation, the place that we have to go in the scriptures, and and I would encourage anyone listening today to grab a Bible or use their smartphone and follow along in the Bible. We're we're going to be looking primarily at John chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, and this interaction that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And I think before we go into John chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, you actually have to go back to chapter 2 in verses 23 to 25. In John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, Jesus is being described as not having to manifest himself to anyone because he knew within himself what was in all man. He knew what was in all people. And I think that that's incredible because the very next verse, as you open up John chapter 3, here you have the end of John chapter 2, Jesus knew what was in all people. And then you open John chapter 3, and John chapter 3 begins with this statement, now there was a man. There was a man of the Pharisees. And it's it's like if you continue the thought from John 2, uh, where Jesus knew what was in man, now we're going to get to see what he knows in action as he has this interaction with Nicodemus. And so, yeah, so Nicodemus comes to him and the level of description that John uses here as he recounts this event is really incredible. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And so we we grasp this picture early on in, in John's gospel. In the dark of night, here is a man who is really living in the darkness and he's coming to Jesus the light of the world. And so already we begin to see this contrast emerge between light and darkness. And it's a contrast that actually started all the way back in John chapter 1. And really, it's carried through the entirety of John's gospel. And so what do we know about Nicodemus? Nicodemus, as far as what we know in John chapter 3, he is a teacher of Israel. Jesus actually addresses him this way later on in verse 10, uh, where he says, 
he's a teacher of Israel. Yet as a teacher of Israel, he's completely in the dark. Hmm. He, he has no idea who he's coming to. And look at how he addresses Jesus in John 3. It's really a, a sign of respect, isn't it? Because he says to Jesus, he calls him rabbi. He doesn't say, hey, stranger, hey, guy that's, you know, <laughs> been roaming around the streets creating all this problem. You know, he comes up to him and, and in a sign of respect, he addresses him as rabbi. But then he follows it up with this really interesting remark. He says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And I think that really there's two observations that we have to make about this. Notice that he doesn't say sent from God. Really interesting ah, that he I says, that. come from God, right? And he's not creating any separation right here between Jesus and himself. In his mind, there's, there's nothing different between Jesus, the man, and Nicodemus, the man. And so, you know, just as Nicodemus came to Jesus, Nicodemus believed that Jesus came from God. And the words, they're different in the Greek. The word for came is archomai. And the word for sent is apostolo, and it's archimai that's used here, the word for came. So it's not like he's using a form of the verb sent. He's not using that. He's using the word come. And if in normal everyday conversation, I were to say to you, I came from Joey's house, I'm simply telling you where I just was. Mm -hmm. And so if in the course of our discussion, you were to say to me, I know you came from Joey's house, there is no purposeful reason or intention placed behind that coming, right? It right, just happened right, because, yeah. okay, you came from Joey's house. It right. doesn't mean right. anything. Right. It, there's no purpose behind it. But if we take that word come and we replace it with sent, and I were to say to you, I was sent from Joey's house, what would you say? It's a total different. <laughs> Joey sent you. Right. Yeah, a different connotation, <laughs> yeah. totally. Yeah. Sure. What for? Right? You right, know, exactly. I was sent from Joey's Why? house. What for? Right. So if... If Nicodemus were coming to Jesus saying, we know you were sent from God, we would think he would be understanding a lot more about who Jesus is. But he doesn't know. He's in the dark. So he's just saying, hey, we know. We know you came from God. There's no understanding of the Father's intentional sending of Jesus in Nicodemus's mind. And so that's one observation here. A second observation is to look at why Nicodemus reasons in his mind that Jesus came from from God. If you look in the text, he's not basing it on what Jesus has said. It's not determined on what Jesus has said, but rather on what Jesus has done. He says this, no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And so, you know, in all of this, there's a little buttering up of Jesus going on here. Nicodemus, he wants to know something. He wants to get information. And Jesus already knows what is in man. He doesn't hmm. need to have Nicodemus even ask him a question. So watch what he does. This is actually really incredible. I think what is amazing about this entire interaction that we often overlook is that Nicodemus never, in these first two verses, he never even gets to ask Jesus the question. Jesus has already anticipated Nicodemus's question because he knows what's in man. So he, uh, he just abruptly jumps past all of these niceties and smooching up, and, and he gets right to the point. And his approach, uh, it kind of reminds me of your book, No, <laughs> no Half-Truths Allowed. We're going right to the point here. That's very much and, like us, right to the point. That's right. And, and thanks for the plug. <laughs> absolutely. 
And I love how John says Jesus answered him. That's what that's what John says Jesus answered. But there was no question. Nicodemus doesn't actually ask a question. So before we get into Jesus's response, I think it's important that we go back to John 1 because we're talking about being born again. And that's what Nicodemus is is looking for. I think Nicodemus is actually wanting Jesus to show him the kingdom. I think that's what we're going to see. But how Jesus responds is going to deal with born again. So we need to go back to John chapter 1. And John's gospel is such a masterful piece of writing. And from beginning to end, there is incredible harmony throughout the whole book. There are comparisons. There are contrasts. There are major themes all throughout. And what I've come to love about John chapter 1 that probably I didn't realize until earlier this year in my studies of John. John chapter 1 foreshadows everything in the rest of the book. Everything that follows John chapter 1 in the Gospel of John is foreshadowed and almost prepares us. John 1 really prepares us for what's coming throughout the rest of his Gospel. And so we have to go to to verses 12 and 13 of John 1 to understand what Jesus is talking about when he responds to Nicodemus. So John has just finished telling us in chapter 1 that Jesus came to his own people And his own people did not receive him. Then in verse 12, listen to what he says. Verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Then he uses this word in verse 13. Who were born. Born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So even in John chapter 1, we see the initial introduction of this idea of rebirth. Men and women who have already been born needing to be born again. And Jesus is now going to take this concept of rebirth, what it means, and and he's going to dissect it for Nicodemus. And for us, what does born again actually mean? And so if you flip back to John chapter 3, You look at verse 3 in John chapter 3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that's why I think it's Nicodemus' intention here for Jesus to reveal to him the kingdom of God, because that's where Jesus goes. Yeah, it seems to make sense that that would be his intention. We really see, though, Nicodemus stumble over this idea of born again, don't we? As many do. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. It's not the kingdom of God that he's stumbling over. It's it's this idea of being born again. And his question is silly, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, it's, <laughs> it is. you know and, and I don't know whether he's trying to lighten the mood. Like Jesus has just pretty much put it right in his face. And now he's trying to be silly about it. But Jesus doesn't let him off the hook. Not that easy anyway. And. What I find significant about Nicodemus's response in verse 4 is it's the same response that most of us have in the church today. We should read his response just to... Yeah, I have it. He actually asked the question, what must I do in relationship to, do I, do I need to go back into my mother's womb again a second time, you know? And like, yeah, that, that, yeah, that's not going to happen. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And so what he's doing is the same thing that we have the propensity to do in the church today, and that is to make it about our own physical efforts Mm -hmm. 
and our own ability. Physically, what must we do? We want to come right from that starting point. How can we merit this rebirth? How can we achieve it? How can we earn it? How can we come by it on our own efforts? We, we really like to control things. And Nicodemus, he's a ruler, right? And so certainly he would have felt like as a ruler of the Jews, I'm going to have some level of control right. over how I experience this rebirth. And Jesus is saying, hey, give up your control. Give up your control. Give up your effort. Give up your ability. Back in John 1.13, what did it say? Children who were born not of the blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. So God does the work, exactly. not us, not Nicodemus, <laughs> right? And so Jesus illustrates this further in verse 5, where he goes in to say, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And what we see here is that, again, this is what I love about Jesus and his teaching in the Gospels. He had a perfect knowledge of the Old Testament. He had a perfect knowledge of all of the covenant promises that God made with his people. And we have to realize that that perfect knowledge of the scriptures in the Old Testament informed everything he said because he spoke only as his father spoke. And those were the words his father spoke mm -hmm. to the prophets in the Old Testament. And what he's doing here, and a lot of people misinterpret, I think, this water and the spirit concept. And we talk about baptism and other things. But I think what Jesus is doing here is he's dipping back into the Old Testament, into the promise of the new covenant. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, and it's ironic, in the new covenant, both water and and the Spirit are mentioned. And so Jesus isn't talking about the water that's associated with physical birth. We know that there's water associated with that. He's, he's, I don't even think he's talking about the water associated with baptism here. That's something different because we know baptism isn't a prerequisite before salvation. So he's talking about something more. So if you go to Ezekiel 36, I just want to read these two verses because you're going to hear it in these verses. This is part of the New Covenant. It says, I will sprinkle, in verse 25, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all of your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, lowercase s, I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And now uppercase s, I will put my spirit, uppercase s, within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So you have both the water and the spirit yeah. of this new birth in the new covenant. This was going to be part of what it looked like for people to come to a knowledge of God. And it was Jesus's work to manifest the Father to the people that he had been given. And so that's what he is doing here. And um, you know, Nicodemus, he wants to see and enter the kingdom of God in a physical sense. I mean, we would all want that. And if, if we knew that the kingdom of God was available right outside of our doors physically to see and to be part of, we would run, sprint. We would do everything we can to get into that kingdom and to see that kingdom. And that's, you know, not to, we don't want to belittle or, or make Nicodemus seem small. He's a very wise man. He's a ruler of the Jews. He had a motivation that any of us would have had to physically enter this kingdom. But isn't it beautiful? Again, John foreshadowing everything. What does Jesus say in the face of Pilate in John chapter 18? 
my kingdom is not of this world. And so when we skip down to verse 7, Jesus is doing something very intriguing here. He can see that Nicodemus is reeling. All of this is just has caught him off guard, that he needs to be born again, that he cannot control this rebirth, that it's totally something that comes from God. And so Jesus says, do not marvel that I said this to you. <laughs> I think that that's funny. It's like it's like if someone would say something to us that was so shocking that they would know it was shocking to us, and then say, "No, don't be surprised by that." <laughs> you know, like, and uh, he says, "Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again." And the second you, this is what's amazing here. The second you that Jesus uses in verse seven is no longer singular; it's now plural. So in these first six verses, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. But now in verse 7, he's talking to a community. And I think he's talking. I think we can, if we look at the context, where Nicodemus is coming from, being a ruler of the Jews, being part of the Sanhedrin, I'm pretty sure that capital Y U, that plural U, is directed right back at that group, at that Sanhedrin group. I didn't know that before, but... Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it, it would seem to make sense, right? And and it would because, you know, Nicodemus has kind of subtly acknowledged already to Jesus that Jesus has been the subject of many a Sanhedrin discussions. <laughs> at, at the, because in verse 2, what does he say? We know. We Well, who's this we? You know, Nicodemus is by himself. So right. who, who's he been talking to? And, and I think the we he's referring to is the Sanhedrin. And so it's not just Nicodemus who needs rebirth or to be born again, but it's the entirety of the Jewish ruling council. It's all people, all of us who desire to see the kingdom of God need to be born again, but it's the work of God and not our own work. And so just finally, look, if you look in verse eight, there's a a really neat wordplay that Jesus is using here. Spirit and wind are used interchangeably. It's the same word in the Greek for both spirit and wind. And, and Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. You have no control over it. You can see the evidence and the work of the Holy Spirit all around us, but we have no control. And, he, and Jesus says, so it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. So, so I, I like to say, just as Nicodemus had no physical power to control his first birth, his physical birth. He had no physical control to control his second birth, his rebirth. And the same, it's so true with us, right? I mean, we, none of us had any control over the fact that we sit here today physically, you know, we had no control over that birth, but here we are are. for a purpose. And why is it so hard for us then sometimes to grasp that the same is true with our spiritual birth? And I think that Again, Jesus is illustrating, even here in verse 8, that God is doing the work of regeneration, of the born again. And it's, a, it's over and against the act or the ability of men. And those who are regenerated are regenerated of the Spirit, and their response should be great thankfulness. And, and so, I love, yeah. Chris, how you illustrated it. It's not that Jesus is teaching something new. He's no. clarifying what the Old Testament says. Yeah, And absolutely. that Old Testament passage couldn't be any clearer that it's God who does the work. That's right. It, it could not be clearer. Yeah, it affirms it. And so I, I do I do struggle, and I'm so glad you guys addressed this, because I do struggle in the church today when so many folks want to find their glory in a choice that they made. 
Yes. And I'm like, hey, give up your choice. Right. Give up your ability. Let it go and lean into the reality that God did this. That you did nothing. Right. We brought nothing. You know, we had nothing but great need. That's what we had, you know? Absolutely. Our hands were empty. That's right. That's right. And when you do think that it was your choice, then you have to accept that you're more clever or smarter than other people because you made the right choice and they didn't. Right. And there's an arrogance about that. Sure. And now now we're watching the outcome of that. Like growing up in a generation where that was the predominant way that the gospel was unpacked, that you had to choose God, you would come up front, you make this choice, you choose God, you get this, you know, badge, you say this prayer, you've chosen God. Well, now what are we seeing? We're seeing that generation in droves writing, quote unquote, deconversion stories. Right. And all of those deconversion stories are void of one thing. If you go and read these deconversion stories coming out all over the culture, they're void of anything that says, Jesus captured me and totally transformed my life. If you read these deconversion stories, how they start is, I grew up in the church. I, I went on missions trips. I was on the praise team. I, I, me, right. me, right. I chose God. Well, if you choose God, then wouldn't it logically make sense that you can unchoose Absolutely. God? We talk about that in the book. And I, yeah. as I like to say, you didn't find Jesus. He wasn't the one lost. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He <laughs> so, was hiding behind a tree over yeah. there and I went and I hunted him down. No. It's, he was never lost. Right. Yeah. We were. We've talked about this for a long time and, and in lots of ways, but what are you going to do when you stand before God? Mm-hmm. Are you going to say, well... I'm here because, uh, you know, Jesus did it for me, and then I made the right decision? No, 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 you're not. That's right. And you'd have to reason that Jesus died on the cross hoping someone would choose him. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right, right. And right. Absolutely, right. And I, Yeah, I just think that, again, when we give all the glory to God and we acknowledge the work that he's done, we find ourselves in the proper position, which is a position of gratitude Absolutely. with open hands to say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amen you know, that. why would you? I have no no concept of why, but your grace and your mercy somehow brought me to that point where you you regenerated me from within and then you gave me the faith to acknowledge you. Yep. Uh, yep. I did nothing. And uh, man, I, I know it's freeing. It, is it very really freeing. is it's freeing. freeing. It's freeing. much more freeing than if I have to choose right. and then try to keep myself in, you know, by all the things I'm behaving and doing because I don't want to get to a point where I unchoose mm-hmm. because life circumstances disrupt me. And right. now, you know, I have no answers. So I love Nicodemus's narrative for that very reason. It's one that honestly we could probably spend a great deal of more time in. It just continues. It even right. leads into John three sixteen. But yes, it's a, it's a beautiful testimony of the power of God in His work in our salvation. So thanks for letting me be on with you guys yeah, today. And and, if Chris uh, has left you wanting more, he is the pastor of Calvary Monument Bible Church in Paradise, Pennsylvania. If you go on their website, you can check out all his messages on John. How long have you been preaching out of John? Uh, we've been in the book of John for almost two full years now. So, <laughs> so you can get it from chapter 1 up to where are you now? Uh, we just finished John 17. We start John 18 this Sunday. So there yeah. you go. You can yeah. check out his messages. They're phenomenal. They are. And Chris, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for being with us today. Yep. It was really, really great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, everyone. Have a blessed day.